You're raised as an athlete to fight back. So why all of a sudden, when you retire, do you stop the good fight? This is Finding Center with Nick Hardwick. Joining us today on Finding Center is a guy that I got the opportunity to work with towards the tail end of my playing career. I probably found him, like a lot of guys find one another, out of necessity. It was around 2010, 2011. I'd had all 11 of the surgeries that I've had to date at that point. I noticed my energy, stamina, and performance. They were all starting to decline as I aged. Dr. Kirk Parsley is a world-renowned performance-based sleep expert. He had a precarious start to his journey. Kirk was a high school dropout before becoming a Navy SEAL and eventually getting his medical degree from Bethesda Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences in 2004. He then went back to the SEAL teams to serve as Naval Special Warfare's expert on sleep medicine. He's been a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine since 2006 and is certified in age management medicine. He continues to consult for multiple corporations and professional athletes and teams, along with lecturing worldwide on sleep, wellness, and hormonal optimization, and is currently completing a book on sleep and health optimization. His passion is to help his patients and clients achieve the highest quality of life possible and realize their health, performance, and longevity goals. He's been featured on the Dr. Oz Show, CBS, and now the Finding Center Podcast. I hope you'll enjoy and learn as much as I did. Thank Dr. You. Parsley, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, man. Tell us, before we get started, where can we find you? Um, my website, just docparsley.com. That's the easiest thing that pretty much you can get to any anyone on my team or me that way. And so you're known as the sleep doctor, right? Because yeah. you got Doc Parsley Sleep Remedy out there, and you do a lot of sleep consultation and speaking and everything. But right. I think the interesting component about you is you are a Navy SEAL, and then you went and got your MD and started practicing with the SEAL teams. I mean, tell me about your background. How, how the hell did you become the sleep doctor? <laughs> how did you become you? Well, actually, I mean, it, probably some residual um, antisocial behavior from my childhood led to me being the sleep doctor. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I grew up in Katy, Texas, which was which was a small town then and it wasn't part of Houston like it is now. Okay. And, it's got uh, swallowed up since. Yeah. And, it, and I mean, all there was was football and weightlifting and everything else was questionable homosexual activity. And, you know, it was like this, like, this is what we do. Right. Um, and fortunately I was, I was fairly big and fairly strong and fairly athletic. So um, my coaches would kind of help me get through my classes but I started getting D's and F's in like third and fourth grade wow uh, had this horrific home life just like the most abusive awful person in the world was like at, at my house and police were at my house every night and I mean it's just ridiculous crap so I had a lot of anger and a lot of rage and um, I might have been able to get into college to play football I mean no way I would have been a professional football player like I'm not big enough for that um but uh, I just didn't have any grades. Like nobody wanted to look at me. And I'm like, well, this sure. guy's going to be disqualified. <laughs> the first, you know, first, uh, first grading period, he's going to be off the team. You know, so. Um, but I also grew up in a really blue collar family, and so military service was really 
almost kind of compulsory in the family view. It's like, you know, you go out and you do your patriotic duty. For there was your, a history of that in yeah, the family. Yeah. So my uncle had been a Vietnam, uh, been a Vietnam era, uh, helicopter pilot. Um, my, uh, you know, my older brother went in the army. I think he went to be the rain to be a ranger. He didn't, I don't think he made it, but, um, and then, um, you know, like my, uh, the generation above my mom, like her, her dad, not her dad, but like those, those that, you know, that genre, like most of those guys were military. And, uh, and plus I was in Texas, man, I was like a 12th generation Texan. Right. Like everybody in Texas joins in. It's what you do. It's it's what you do. It's part of, of, and if Texas had their own military, they would all just do that. I'm sure, you know? (laughs) Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, uh, actually by my fourth year of high school, um, I got to play four years of football. Um, I was really into cars, had cool cars and raced cars. What was your position? Girl. Uh, I played middle, middle linebacker and nose guard. Nice. Yeah. So they used to call middle <coughs> linebacker middle guard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back in the day. And, uh, and you know, it, you know, in high school, I was like, <clears throat> I don't know, five, ten, five, eleven, like two twenty, And I could run like a four, seven. So like I was, I was pretty explosive. So I was explosive and I, but you know, put me in the NFL and I would have just been like ping pong ball bouncing off of walls. You're you taller know? than five, ten now. Yeah. I grew like three inches after, after uh, my after high school, I grew like three inches in the Late Navy. Late bloomer. I did the same thing. Yeah, I actually went up three shoe sizes too. It was ridiculous because I already wore a twelve. No, I, I went up two. I already wore a thirteen, which was impossible to find. And then uh, by the time I left the SEAL teams, I wore a fifteen. And whoa! Every did ma- your feet just flatten out, or did they grow and like, maintain I, an arch, or well, what every, happened there? Yeah, I still have an arch. Like every man in my family, on my dad's side of the family, like I'm the shortest, smallest guy by a long shot. There's nobody under 300 pounds, and they're all like six four to six eleven. I think is the tallest. Wow. Um, and you know, my son is 18. He's six four, two eighty five. He wears a sixteen. You guys got good blood. Like he's gonna he's gonna keep going, right? So, um, <laughs> so anyway, I. Uh, you know, I after four years of high school, really just playing around, chasing girls, racing cars, getting in fights. Like I did a lot of martial arts and stuff like that. Like I, I was just a violent, angry dude. Um, and uh, I thought, well, I'm probably going to get in trouble because most of my family were criminals. I mean, my my extended family, like gotcha. my uncles and cousins, cousins and all that. Like they're all like literally, you know, been in prison and die in prison and do like all the all the all the heinous crimes in the world like jerry springer i watch it i'm like yeah, yeah <laughs> i yeah. know those people yeah that's my family right? like, it's totally normal like i see i've seen all that uh <laughs> yeah so uh i i um i decided that i was going to go do this toughest training in the world right this documentary came out there was a show called 48 hours it was like 60 minutes oh yeah if you remember that right yeah so this documentary came out on buds on seal training and I, my boxing coach was the Marine recruiter for my hometown. So it was just always assumed I was going Marine recon, right, for years. Right. And then I found out about the SEALs. I'm like, oh, these guys, looks interesting. And then that documentary came out. I watched it probably 20 times in a week. I was like, I'm going to be a SEAL. That's it right there. And You so, were grabbed. Yeah. So I dropped out of high school, went and got my GED, signed up for the Navy, left, went became a SEAL. Oh, so right when you knew, you dropped out and said, "Well, I mean, I, I dropped out. I dropped out within like a few months at the end of the school year. Yeah. So nobody really noticed. I, don't, I think most people I went to high school with don't know I didn't graduate high school. You know, because no I just kidding. I just hung around with all the same people. I hung around people my age. You know, even though I, by credits I was still a sophomore at the end of my senior year. 
Um, so that wasn't happening. So that wasn't happening. I wasn't going to stay in high school for like a couple <laughs> of years. And at that pace, it would have been like another three years to get, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I wasn't going to do that. And um, so, I, you know, I would go to do this SEAL training thing. And um, I think there's a lot to be said for not really having alternatives. And so it was never a question to me whether I would quit or not. Like, I think people who go there with a plan B are screwed, right? Like yes. if, if you think there's something plan B is a lot easier. Yeah. It's like, if you think there's something else you can do when things By get really bad, that's yeah. what you're going to do. Right. It's an, it's an easier path to a lesser goal. And that's, you know, that's what all sort of it's like kind backup of the plans are. Needs versus wants paradigm. Right. Yeah. You really want to be a Navy SEAL, but if you don't need it, there's <laughs> right. absolutely no way you're going to be that. Yeah. So there were so many times in SEAL training, I was like, and I was too big to be a SEAL. I mean, I, I, um, when I went through SEAL training, I'd say the average guy was probably like 5'8 to 5'10 and 150 pounds. And Soccer they, players, they could run. swimmers, yeah. cross-country and, guys. Yeah, cross-country dudes. And, a lot of, and, and you were kind of measured by how fast you could run distance. That was the standard. That was the standard. Sure. Like, that was like the gold standard. Like there was other stuff. There was PT and there was obstacle course and, you know, whatever. There was, uh, there were some other things that they cared about. But really that was – in their mind, that was a gut check, right? Because if you really wanted it, you could run that fast. Right. And I'd be like, that's not true. I mean, <laughs> no, no, I'm, like, I'm toting this frame like, around. Yeah, it's like, I don't, I, and I didn't know why at that age. Like, I don't know why that's not true, but I can tell you that's not true. And now I look back on it, and of course, you know, now you know muscle fiber types and anaerobic right. versus aerobic. And when it's I like, saw your lower legs come in, yeah. <laughs> and those things aren't easy to tote around. Yeah, they're not, they're not made for running distance. Like, I can run, I can sprint really fast. Yeah, like, um, and so I didn't know why, but I was like, that's not true. And now I'm, now I just turn back to those guys and go, well, all right, well, if you really want it, you should be able to bench press 500 pounds. And if you can't do it, then you're quitting. That's right. It's the same argument, right? You can't run six minute miles and long pants and boots on the sand. Well, then you don't really want it. Yeah. And so that was your desire. So, low. so I was, low willpower on yeah, that. Guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this guy's not putting out. Right. Like, I guarantee I was running at like 120% of my maximal heart rate. Like the whole time I was running. Um, and I would, I mean, I would literally like have to meditate while I was running just because I was just suffering so bad. I couldn't really be in my body. Right. I, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I was like literally escaping my body and just like going to the zone and I'm going as hard as I can. And it was sort of this out of body experience. I could look down at my legs and go, I don't know how they're still going. Like I didn't, like, I don't feel like I can move them anymore. I feel like I feel so exhausted. That I is a complete wipe. meditative state. Yeah. And I'm just in there going and just like looking down an observation of my body still running and like, huh, I don't know how this is happening, but so much, you know, and, you know, I still passed by like two or three seconds. Sure. <laughs> like, just barely made it. Um, anyway, I had way too long of a story about that. Um, so, uh, you know, I was, I was a SEAL during the Clinton administration. We call it Hollywood SEALs. I mean, we were like, the police for like team America, gotcha. <laughs> like the police force world of America police. go around and like, or yeah, the world, yeah, world police. And we'd run around and do little things here and there and nothing super important, uh, train a lot of other militaries and things like that. Um, and it was, it was kind of redundant and boring and, um, I didn't really get to do what I came there to do, which right. was combat. And so, um, yeah, get action, prove right, yourself. Right. I mean, it's like, why learn all this stuff and never use it? Right. I mean, it's, um, and it's like having scrimmages all the time and never getting yeah. any action under the lights. Right. And testing your metal. Exactly. So, um, and it was a young single man's job. There were very few married seals in those days, um, responsibly. I mean, I think that's probably right. the correct decision. Well, I don't, not correct. I, I think that's probably, um, the more reasonable course. I mean, it's just a bad 
sure. it's a bad long-term strategy to be a seal and be married and raise your family because totally you really that, don't get yeah. to raise your family. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I'd met a girl, I was falling in love. I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to get out and I'm going to go to school. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll be an athletic trainer or, or PT or something. Like, I didn't really know. Like, I'd, I, yeah. But I was always interested in the body and physiology, mainly just to make myself a better athlete because that was the only thing I had, right? Because I was like a, I was like a strong, fast, big guy. That was guy. your tool. That was what I could do. And so I had to be the best at that as I could because I knew I was dumb. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so then I – actually, when I went to the, when I went to the military, like, uh, when I went to, into SEAL training, you had to go to a school to learn a job before you went to SEAL training because almost everybody fails SEAL gotcha. training like 85% fail, right? So it's like, well, where are we going to send you once you fail? So the way they used to do it was like, well, we're going to train you for Plan where we failure. want you to go. <laughs> once you fail, <laughs> upon your inevitable sure, we'll failure. Sure, we'll let you try that. You're, that's yeah, cute. You, we'll let you go play around over there. And then once you fail, you're going to go over here. And so that's how they set it up. Um, and so that's how it was when I went through it. And I had, and I had to go through you know, quite a bit of academic work. It was like eight months, nine months of electronics and hydraulics and so we were learning gun systems i was a gunner's mate so i learned how to work on like the missiles and guns that are on ships gotcha um as well as small arms but not very mechanical obviously um and i did really well like top of my class and i was like hmm Navy's full of a bunch of dumb people. That's what it's going to be. There right? you go. Yeah. And then I, uh, yeah. GED holder. Yeah. Cause I know I'm dumb and these guys are dumber <laughs> than me. And then I, and then I went through uh seal training and there's a fair amount of academics in there as well. Right. You know, there's yes. written tests and I was always one of the top guys and I was like, huh, dumb guys in the seal team is too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <Whatever. laughs> so over, you couldn't put it together. Yeah. So over time, I like over years, I mean, I got programmed a lot as a child and whatever, but like over the years, I was like, okay, maybe I'm not dumb. And like, okay, maybe I, like, maybe actually I might be a little, I might be a little ahead of the average. Right. And like, and so I started getting more and more optimistic and uh, just to get into physical therapy school, you have to volunteer 2,000, 2,000 hours, which is like, that's a year of full-time work or two years. That's of exactly right. Yeah. right. So like, that's, that's, that's a lot. 50 weeks times 40 hours. Yeah. So, um, so I started volunteering at San Diego Sports Medicine Center right here down the road. And you remember Lee Rice at that practice down yeah. there. So he owned San Diego Sports Medicine Center at that time. And um, the beauty of it was we had every healthcare provider possible. Like we had athletic trainers we had massage therapists we had acupuncture we had pts we had atcs we had pt assistants we Kairos. had we had chiropractors we had um you know uh certified strength and conditioning coaches we had uh, mds we had do's sports medicine orthopedics we even had an orthodontist so like and so I just got all under one roof. Essentially, I mean, it's under two. It was in two buildings, but it was like so intermingled. Like you're going back and like I essentially got to know all way ahead of its time, really. Yeah. So I, I got to know all these people, and uh, they uh, the doctors were not that much older than me because I'd you know six years out of high school. I'd I'd spent six years in the military, and so now I'd you know um, they were like in their early 30s, and they'd just like gone you know school 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 graduate residency and then now they're working here sure so we're close to the same age and they're trying to talk me into becoming a doctor i'm like oh, you guys are <laughs> like you guys Look, are crazy can i tell you a little something about my high school <laughs> yeah, experience it's like dude like i failed handwriting in third grade <laughs> i can't be a doctor well actually maybe that that wouldn't be a good example that'd be probably for being a doctor failing handwriting uh and so we're bickering in the hallway this is going on I don't know how long it had been going on, five minutes or 10 minutes or something. Then Lee Rice walks out and he goes, and I, I don't even really know him because he's like, 
he's like the godfather of yes. the organization. You're not, you know, like he was the pinnacle. Yeah, you don't make eye contact with him when he talks. You're just kind of like, uh, yeah, like, uh, and he comes out and he's like, the question isn't could you get in, the question is would you go if you got in. And I was like, oh, man, you got me. What a, <laughs> so what like, a wise sage. Yeah, and I was like, all right, I guess I got to try, right? And so. I got so he found a way to get at your competitive nature. Yeah. Um, well, and just and um, and my humility, right? It's just like you know, like once you lay it out there like that, it's like this is essentially a test of courage, right? Yeah. It's not. It's not aptitude. It's like maybe you get it, maybe you don't. It's the test yeah. of the courage. To actually, are you scared to go? Like, are you going to try? And, I, and if you would get, if you would want to go, if you could get in, then why the hell wouldn't you be applying for it? Right. right? And so it's like, all right, so. I'm going to be a doctor. Um, so then fast forward, you know, going through college, I transferred from the junior college to UCSD and, uh, Navy paid for all this GI bill paid for like, I had to go to college for five years cause I had to make up for high school. Like okay. my first, my first year of junior college didn't count. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's like high school remediation. I hadn't, yes. I hadn't even taken had like, all 100 classes. Yeah, or I, hadn't pre take, 100s. I hadn't even, I hadn't even taken pre-algebra. Yet, right? <laughs> like, a long way to like, go. Like, I was a long way to go. Cause I have to go through calculus to be a doctor. Right. Um, and so, um, I'm going through all these, I'm going through these college classes. I, I take my MCAT review course yes. and then I take my MCAT and then you really have to see like, where are you competitive for? Right. It's like anything else. Like you can't go to Harvard or Yale necessarily, but sure. like, if you can get into medical school, like where, where are you competitive based on your grades and your background and all those. And, um, so I'll date myself a long way here. Um, this is really pre Google being powerful. I think we still had web crawler at that point, but, uh, uh yeah, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. So I, I went to the bookstore and like or the library and you'd get like these Kaplan review books yes. in schools and you'd go through and like see what their GPAs were and what their schools like and what they selected for and what their MCAT scores were. And you're like, yeah, okay, check, check, check. And the theory in those days was you applied to like 25 schools hoping to get into one. Right. And that was something like, all right. And as I'm going through this book, I find out the military has their own medical school. Now, given all of my antisocial behavior as a child and all this stuff, like I really wasn't a good fit for the military. I was fine for the SEAL teams because it's yes. not like a very military organization. It's, it's much, probably a lot of band of misfits like you. Yeah, and it's a, and it's all about performance. Like if you're good at your job, we'll overlook a lot. Sure, you know, we won't overlook everything, <laughs> but we'll overlook a lot. Yeah, like, you got a high talent. Yeah, like, yes. So be we good at make your, do. Be good at your job, and you'll get through. And so, um, so I had a fairly good re reputation as a SEAL, um, and. Uh, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd put my work in. But anyway, so um, I'm looking at this book and I find out the military is in medical school. And I'm like, well, crap, I don't really want to be in the military again. But I'm married, I have kids. Like I already have one kid, I have another kid on the way. I'm like, kind of makes sense, right? Like I, they're going to pay me to go to medical school versus the other way around. And I figure, well, I'll get back to the SEAL teams and get to be the doc there. And that'll like bring me full circle. Cool. And like circle of life will you know, click together and the sun will rise and <laughs> everything will be just total synchronicity. Yeah. Just rainbows and unicorns from there. And, uh, so anyway, I, I go to the military as a medical school. I go through the dive medical officer training, which is like hyperbarics and undersea medicine and all that stuff, uh, to be able to work with divers and seals. And I go back to the seal teams as a, what's called like a, a, a undersea medical officer, um, specializes in what is just saying? Like the, hyperbarics and under, sure. uh, like under underwater stuff. Um, and when I got there, I just 
by dumb luck, um, they'd been building a program. This blows people's minds. So this was 2009. So maybe 10 years before that, somebody had the idea of, huh, maybe we should treat our SEALs like athletes and like have resources for them like, you know, like a football team would have or so something. So this is early 2000s. Yeah. And uh, so when I got there, they're like, hey, we finally got the funding for this and we want you to oversee building out this sports medicine In facility. 2009? 2009. No kidding. So we didn't have a single healthcare program. I mean, we had doctors, but they were just guys like me. They were DMOs. So they might not have had any interest in orthopedics and sports medicine. That's where my interest was. So of I course. felt like I'm going to be great when I go back to the SEAL teams. But then I build out this big facility and um, we bring in orthopedic rounds every week and we bring in pain clinic rounds and we bring the acupuncturists by and um, then we hire a bunch of physical therapists and a bunch of athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches and exercise physiologists and nutritionists and like, and they're all from professional sports and the Olympic training centers. Right. Like we're getting the best, got of the high best. Level, we're getting yes. high level. And so then I was like the most useless guy there, right? So in the military, it's truest fashion. They'll say, well, you should be in charge then, right? Like, <laughs> you know the least. You should, you should be the manager of you all this. You should wrangle these yeah. folks, yeah. So, so that, that sort of became my job is to supervise the center. And, and you uh, were in charge of building that out? Yeah. Finding I mean, them, positioning them? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, it was a group of us. I don't want sure. to make it sound like it was just me doing it. But, I was, yeah, I was, I was a big part of everybody that we hired and how we built the different facilities and how we organized and how we, uh, we cross-referred and how we cross-measured. Because strength and conditioning guys have a different idea than a physical therapist. Of course. Right. And then their troop commander has a different idea than either one of those. And so, like, how do we marry all those together and get everybody's buy-in on? So, a lot of diplomacy, which isn't my strong suit, but I did it. Yeah. And uh, what happened, unfortunately, is just like in the NFL or any other pro sports, you know, the doctor medical is your enemy, right? Because what are they going to do? Put you on the bench. That's right. Right? So you don't tell those guys anything. Can't like, make the club in the tub. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking to you. Like, <laughs> and doctors are the same way. Like, seals would go in for their physicals every five years or whatever. Like, I'm great. I, nope, no problem. Feeling good. Yep, feeling good, man. Everything's going Deny great. Deny everything. Right. And it's like, says here you're broke. Ah, oh, no, nah, it wasn't me. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> let's like, put tape over bullet wounds. Yeah, I'm good, man. Like, uh, and they're just lying and, ho and holding everything back. And I know I was one of those guys, right? I'm like, you're not. Yeah, which is kind of the beauty of you having been one. It's yeah. like, you know the mindset. So, so the guys trusted me. And that was the beginning of my downfall right there. <laughs> I'd, I, there were still lots of guys in the teams that had been, I'd been a SEAL with or been through SEAL training with. And so I'd go sit down. I'd be in my office, and these guys would come in and, like, shut the door and sit down and say, hey, so-and-so told me to come talk to you. Let me tell you what's going on with me. And they start telling me this whole litany of symptoms, which you would be very familiar with. Sure. Lot, like what, how you're feeling towards the end of your career, problems with body mass composition, motivation, memory, concentration, uh, mood stability. Like, they're yes. snapping at their kids. They're super forgetful. They're, like, you know, like – they're just not performing the way right. they want it. And things that I think in a normal world, and I kind of experienced this as I was getting out of the NFL, where you're talking to psychologists and psychiatrists who are kind of taking you through that realm. And they're like, how old are you? Yeah, 34, 35 years old. How many kids you have? Oh, yeah, you just kind of have dad brain. And they kind of write it off right. like that. But when you're a high performer, you're hyper aware Right. of what's going on in your body. So when you're telling people, hey, I'm not performing the way that I once was, I cognitively and not where I was, right. 
if you haven't experienced that yourself because you aren't intimately connected with your body and your brain, you just write it <laughs> off as, oh, yeah, it's normal to leave your keys there. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's totally normal to get irritated with your kids. But right. it's not all that normal. And, right. and when you're talking about the elite – those little degrees of separation are yeah, everything. One, one and then percent's when it, everything. Right? When it comes to the to life and death, like right. it is with the military, I mean that's yeah. And you're what you're fighting d- for every margin you can. And what you do is you end up uh, you end up behaving like everybody in your group finds compensatory techniques to deal with the stuff that all of you are sure. dealing with, and then it just becomes normal behavior. And then when these guys get out of the military and they go into the corporate sector, because let's face it, I mean most SEALs retire like 40 years old, you know, 38 to 42 sure. years old. And like it's enough, enough, plenty of time to do another career. Right. Yes. And they've got their military pension for the rest of their lives. And, um, they've been gone 20, they've been gone 75% of their life at this point, the whole time they're seals. And, um, but now like all the stuff that you used to do to compensate and live in your little world and your little click and your bubble of other seals, that's not how the rest of the world works and your stuff doesn't work anymore. And now you're not only going from being the best in the world at something like unquestionably, I am like one of the you best in the expert. world. Like yes. this is the, the top tier. You can't get better. And now I'm going to go to like Joe blow cubicle guy and try to work up in this corporate sector. Now you're an intern, right? Now you're an intern and you feel like you suck because your memory's not there and like you're, you're forgetful and you're drop things. Task concentration becomes like, yeah. really difficult. Yeah. You're sitting there looking at your computer screen for an hour, like trying to figure out how to respond to this one email that takes two, two sentences to do, you know, right. And it's normal processing for the, or usual, not normal. Um, so anyway, uh, I had no idea when they came in, they're listing out. I'm like, beats me. Like <laughs> you should have got a smarter doctor, I guess. Like, I don't know. I, and, uh, um, one thing that was clear though, is that nobody had a disease and being a medical doctor, that's what I, that's what I trained in. I learned how to recognize, diagnose and treat disease. They don't have a disease. They're not supposed to be seeing a doctor, but guess, guess who they're coming to. They're their coming guy. to me. I, they're coming to You're me. They trust guy. me. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to have to figure this out. So I just do these exhaustive interviews. With the, I'm, I mean, I'm not kidding. Three or four hours with each one of these guys. I'm just writing down everything they're saying and I'm thinking through it and trying to ask them all the same questions. And once I get to around, maybe around a hundred people, um, this light bulb goes off about Ambien. This guy says that he takes Ambien every night. And I was like, yeah, like for whatever, to force for, himself yeah, to try to get some sleep. Yeah. So for whatever reason, like that day it stuck out to me and I was like, huh, that seems kind of familiar. It seems like a lot of guys have said that. Like, I mean, so after this, after this uh, consult, I'm going to go check out. So now we'll go through back through my records and every single one of these guys was on Ambien. I was like, huh. And so then I start, I talked to the command psych and like the group medical officer. And they're like, there, there was known stats on it. It's like 85% of the SEAL teams used Ambien on a regular basis. And that was just consi- just on a recurring prescription. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't even have to have a prescription. It was like their medic gave it to them. Sure. But like the the command gave it to the medics, and medics just handed it out. Um, and and you know, someone would have their own prescriptions as well. But and they, if you know the seal mentality, if one is good, two is better, three is great, That's four right. is fantastic. I'm just gonna knock myself out and here. And then see you Tuesday. Yeah, and then they'll have a like, couple of cocktails to chase that <laughs> down, and make sure it really works. And they'll wake up at four a.m. and they can't get back to sleep, and they go. Well, I'll just go into work. I'll work out really hard. Yeah. I'll 
have worked, a ton of work through the day and then by the tonight I'll be super tired and I'll fall asleep. And you know, they try that for three, four, five years before they come see me and I'm like, It's probably not gonna work, buddy. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't mean to be discouraging, but it hasn't worked in years. It's probably not gonna work tonight. Uh <laughs> and so uh so really like the ambient was kind of the first like bing for me. I was like, well, I wonder what ambient does. Cause I didn't know, like I didn't have a single class on sleep in medical school. Neither did any other doctor. Right. Like, don't train you on sleep. Like the only thing I would have learned is like in pharmacology class that if people can't sleep, you give them this drug first and then you go to this class of drug and then you go like, that's what I would you have just done. steadily ramp it up right. until, until you're like giving them out. out. Yeah. Then you're giving them like sedative antipsychotics essentially at the far oh, end Christ. of it and just drugging people into unconsciousness. And so, um, I also, well, I mean, the other thing is that I was the doctor for the West Coast SEAL team, so I could call, like, any guru out there who had written a book or done a TED Talk or was, like, an expert in non-traditional, West, non-Western, functional, integrative, alternative, whatever the hell the sure. buzzword However is. However they identify. Yeah, but it's like, you're not a traditional medical doctor, even though you've Western-trained doctor, yes. and, like, you do things differently, and my guys don't have disease, and just like the NFL, I couldn't give them hormones, but all their hormones were shattered. I mean, they look like crap. See, that's so wild to me, too. Yeah. Like special warfare guys that right. are going to put their life on the line can't be optimal. I understand in the in pro sports, I completely understand because then it's just an escalation of arms, and it's like you have to right. if if the other team is on it, your team has to be on it. So I get it from a professional sports standpoint. Yeah, but from a but at the end of the day, you're an entertainer, really, right? I mean, it's like well, that's true, and and, I, and it's like these guys are on the line for their lives, and it's not like the Taliban's going to go oh. I want that guy blood tested. I mean, it's like, exactly. <laughs> it's like yeah. Hold on, this is not fair at all. These guys, yeah, there's only there's only these two, guys are performing optimally right now. Yeah, there's only two categories, right? There's undefeated and there's dead. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's there's no season yeah, average. It. It's like, did you lose? If yes. you lost, we know, right? I mean, maybe you get shot and you survive it, but I mean, it's it's a big deal to lose, and I I agree with you. It's like it makes no sense to me, um, especially if you do it under a medically controlled environment. Because I didn't want to make guys super physiologic, and that's right. what people. You're not making Captain America, right? And and that, and that's what people think of when they think of steroids, is they think of taking, I don't know, five, ten, twenty times more testosterone than your body would ever produce. And yeah, you have these super physiologic like effects. Bodybuilding, like bodybuilding, world. yeah. yeah or those, some of the I mean, track this, athletes, yeah. Bodybuilders literally have blood levels of ten times what they are what they could ever produce no like year round and they're on multiple drugs to do that and then they're on drugs to help them raise their heart rate and decrease their body fat and like they're doing all sorts of stuff. Like is this chemistry experiment in their body. Like that's taking steroids and that's what the public thinks about right. taking steroids. What we're talking about is a forty year old guy who still is expected to carry a hundred pound ruck and weapons and jump over walls and kick indoors and shoot people in the face and fight. And, and he's, you know, in his mid thirties to mid forties and his total testosterone is like at the very lowest 5% of a normal barrel curve. Right. And it's like, that guy probably shouldn't be there. He's but operating then, but, like an 80 year old. Right. And in the world of medicine, it's all about the bell curve, right? It's this normal distribution, which is not, I mean, it's a statistical term, but it's incorrect. It's inaccurate. It's the usual distribution, right? And so when they did the Framingham data on a bunch of white people from New England, um, the criteria for being normal and testosterone was you were over 19 and you had testicles. That was it. Like, oh, and you had to be alive, right? So, so there's three, three criteria. You're alive, you have testicles, you're over 19, wow. and they put you in the normal distribution. 
So normal distribution was 250 to like 1150. And I had all these guys come in at 230, 275, 285. I'm like, hmm, seems like this should be on this far on this side. I mean, I'm guessing. That, As elite level guys. <laughs> right. I'm guessing. Like I, and, uh, but I'm not an endocrinologist, and the Navy's not about to let me give guys hormones. So fortunately, the first thing I figured out with the Ambien was um, that Ambien destroys what we call the sleep architecture. So when you sleep, there's uh, – so sleep medicine – interestingly has no controversy in it you look at nutritional like yeah nutritional research dogmatic right and nutrition is dogmatic it's like you should be keto or you should be vegan or everything in between and sure. here's a thousand articles from you can you find know, from, supporting evidence yeah, from, from all of it. ivy league schools like there's great research for anything in nutrition all right where do you start i don't know like, i gotta know either um <laughs> but sleep there's no like there's no arguments like every everyone they test is like yeah if you sleep this much you perform at your best and athletes you need to sleep more than those people to perform your best yes. and to keep growing and so seals would be on par with athletes and they should be sleeping nine or ten hours a night and they're getting four hours a night five hours a night and when, is that what athletes should be sleeping yeah nine, nine to ten because i, ten, I yeah. did recently read that lebron james was a nine to ten hour a night guy yeah i mean i think i think nine would be the bare minimum i mean even just normal adults is seven to nine um i okay. just recently got my ears pinned back on this with linkedin i've been saying seven and a half hours plus or minus half an hour i can't find the source that i've been quoting that for like 10 years and the sleep research is like it's actually 8.16 i was like and we thank you. We kind of went back and forth. I was, I was actually kind of a snarky dick to him. Like I was like, ah, nah, like kind of just aggressive and and like he just he didn't give up. And so I'm like, all right, let me go look. And I was like, oh man, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> I did like this public apology on LinkedIn. I'm like, I acted like a total ass, and this dude was right. Oh, and good thank for you. you. Yeah, I was like, I mean, yeah, get totally schooled on it. Um, but anyways, it turns out a little over eight hours. So the the National Sleep Foundation's recommendation is seven to nine. Um, and so for some reason I was always right around eight was my recommendation, but, uh, what we've seen in all professional athletes, um, regardless of age is that nine is probably the minimum. Um, when you get up to like Olympian levels, a lot of those people are sleeping 10 and 11 hours, uh, like half their day really. Cause all they're doing the is, all they're doing is training and sleeping, training and sleeping. Wow. And there's reasons for that. So when I was talking about the sleep architecture, like the, the interesting thing about sleep medicine is though, although all the research is consistent on what you should be doing, how much sleep you need and what happens while you sleep, all of that's very consistent. Um, the definition of sleep is the biggest controversy. Like what does it mean to be asleep? And the most accurate thing is that it's the lack of being awake which just doesn't make any sense. doesn't help. It's right. rhetorical, right? It doesn't tell you where your brain waves right. are or where you're sitting there. And so what we don't really have a sleep system. We have a lack of being awake. We have a wake-promoting system, and that's what our adrenals are primarily involved with, right? So your adrenals keep you alert in proportion to your environment. And if your environment gets really dangerous, your adrenals go way up, right? And you get a lot of stress hormones, and your body performs differently. And when there's no threat, your adrenal function is lower, and you have less fear uh, stress hormones and you're more calm and able to like you're able to do different things right yes. fight or flight you can do amazing physical feats but you're dumb like you couldn't remember your phone number to save your life right, right. i mean like you're you're in fight or flight but you get down and you can do a lot of cognitive things and you can do a lot of repair and resting digesting like all that and so the actually the opposite of fight or flight is deep sleep stages three and four of sleep what we call slow wave sleep so if you look we put all these electrodes all over so people. this is different now because i think a lot of people misconstrue 
REM, and deep sleep. Those are two completely separate yeah. phases. Yeah, so I'll talk about that. So when, so William Dement is the guy who I followed the most at the beginning of my career. He'd, he'd written prolifically a lot of research, and he was a Stanford professor at the time. He's since retired, but he's sort of the grandfather in America, at least. of, um, And he was part of the team that, that discovered REM. That was the very first thing that sleep medicine ever discovered was rapid eye movement. And um, they know what the hell it meant, but they, they just observed it every night. And no matter who they studied, like, oh, they have these periods of that. And if you wake people up during that period, they remember their dreams. And if you wake people up during other periods, they don't seem to be dreaming or they don't remember them very well. Um, and that was like the extent of, you know, the first 10 years of his career, I think, is like that's what they figured out. Um, and, you know, since then, uh, they just kept putting more and more analysis on it. So now we do your heart rate, we do your respiratory rate, we do your your oxygen, you know, oxygenation, your pulse ox. Um, we do actigraphy, how much you're moving, and we put all these electrodes all over your head so we can tell how your brain is sort of rhythmically doing, like in a, as a gestalt. So think of like, you know, seeing New York City from an airplane. Like you're not, gotcha. you're not down at the street light yeah, level, you're but, 30, you're, yeah, but you're, you're seeing like the gestalt of like where the lights are, where the buildings are, where that like, and that's, and that has to be predictable for it to be sleep because then we can say, well, that is with this respiratory rate and this movement and this brave waiting state, we know that's stage one sleep, that's stage two sleep, that's stage three sleep, that's stage four. And then that's what happens. You get in bed. That's the pre state. That's the pre sleep where you're really just, you get in bed and you're like kind of you, you're kind of aware of what's going around you, but not really. It's like, you can't, you're not interacting. You're not even considering interacting, but maybe you can hear your wife talking in the background sure. or something, or like you notice your dog, scratching itself or something but, but it doesn't excite you but yeah you're just like kinda, um, i'm really kind of done with this for the day and you're fading out so that's stage one and then stage two is this transition stage it has a very specific brainwave pattern and then you go into the first slow wave slip, uh step is stage three um, which is also delta um there's a theta or delta i get it mixed up um and uh and then you go from there to stage four and so it's this ladder when once we plot everything together, we can say, oh, well, you spent this much time. So if you put time on the X axis and on the Y axis, you put these stages. And so you got in at stage one and you like stair stepped down to stage four and then you stair stepped back up. You go past stage two and then you go to REM. And at the end of that REM cycle, we call that one sleep cycle. Gotcha. And then you go into another one. And what happens is at the beginning of the night, there's a lot of slow wave sleep. That's the deep sleep. That's when your body's actually repairing. That's the opposite of fight or flight. So everything that you're good at in fight or flight, you suck at at sleep, right? You can't run. You can't right. fight. You can't like all this stuff. So you can't do anything. But what you're doing is you're repairing your body. Your immune system's at its highest. You're repairing your damaged tendons, ligaments, muscles. And you're flushing waste products out of your body and out of your brain. Um and then you crawl back through and you go through a REM cycle. And in the REM cycle, you're actually reprocessing everything that you've learned during the day, which is why there's everything you've experienced. That's cataloging all the information. Right. So you're cataloging it and you're also comparing and you're also deciding if it's relevant. So there's something called pruning that goes on. So if you think of like a tree when they start getting little buds. Right. Well, your brain will actually go through there and go, that's all nonsense. It's and just prune all those off. We don't need all that because there's only so many pathways that a neuron can go. I mean, you, you can kind of think of them as tree roots and they go out and they touch other tree roots, but the trunk of the tree is the neuron, right? And gotcha. there's only so many tree roots that can go and be helpful. And so you'll prune off little potential roots. Um, and then you'll make other ones stronger. Like, and then, and that's what allows you to compare information with what you already knew and work with it and become creative with it. And so that's when you're really learning. So, 
when you know when you work out, you, you don't get stronger, you get weaker. Yes. Right? The whole point you're, you're is breaking it down. The whole point is to do more than their cells are capable of doing. And then your cells have a choice. They die or they have to repair stronger. That'd be better. So what sleep really does is get you ready for tomorrow with today as the baseline of what they think tomorrow's going to be. And that's what your body's really trying to do is when you go to sleep, you're trying to repair your body and your brain to be able to handle tomorrow better than you handled today. And assuming it's the same stress load. And then if you're pushing the envelopes, like, well, the stress load is going to go up every day. And so you're just going to be chasing that forever. That's right. your life. Right. And that's what we do. Um, and, but the problem is when you don't get enough sleep, you still have to do tomorrow, man. Like there's not an option. You can't say, Oh, it's reset. like working out and not getting a meal. Right. It's like, you still got to do it. Like you, you still mm-hmm. have to go. And so now you wake up and you don't have the resources to do tomorrow because you only slept half the night and you, you were on drugs when you did that and it destroyed all of your deep sleep. Yeah. Right? What does the Ambien do? Or so, whatever other uh, so all, all sleep drugs just interfere with the overall structure. So when you look at that sleep architecture, it's this very smooth stair step down, stair step up, REM cycle, ends, go back another one. The end, the last three hours of your sleep is primarily REM. The first three hours is primarily deep. And it's like transitioning that way the whole night. Um, and so when you do all sleep drugs interfere with all sleep, all sleep, all, uh, stages, uh, but the Z drugs like Ambien and Lunesta, they uh, they destroy more REM sleep than they do deep sleep. So they're more impactful for that. Alcohol is the opposite. So my guys were doing both, alcohol and Ambien. Gotcha. And then Benadryl is kind of across the board, like most of the over-counter drugs kind of across the board. Um, and then benzodiazepines like Valium and stuff. Sure. Like those are kind of across the boards. Uh, again, still more REM than deep, but they still mess with deep sleep. And I've seen... I would say 90% of the guys that I sent for sleep studies, which I didn't do everybody. I probably saw 400 guys with this, what I called the seal syndrome because I'm so creative. Pretty standard. <laughs> yeah. I like that though. <laughs> it's like the seal syndrome. I don't know. Well, like, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whatever this is, I don't know. Uh, I probably, probably 50 to 80 of them I sent to have sleep studies. And, um, out of those, out of those clients, I would say 95% of them came back with 100% stage two sleep like you're 99.6% stage two. So they weren't asleep. They were unconscious. So the point of all this, which I keep digressing from when William DeMint gave the definition of there's a barrier between you and your environment and you can be awakened. I think if you add on to that, you have normal sleep architecture or you have predictable neuronal sure. patterns. So like, so we can, we can see that you're not simply unconscious, being unconscious of course you can't wake somebody up. But, um, so that kind of gets there. But, I still think that it's not sleep, and I think most sleep researchers and uh, sleep medicine physicians would agree with me. It's like it's not sleep if you're not going through these phases, right? I mean, it's you know right. just because you have something over your head doesn't make it a house, right? It has to have the right structure. Sure. Um, and so, anyway, to make a long story longer, um, I also just did these huge blood panels on guys because I had no freaking idea what I was looking you for. You want to see what's in there. I'm just like, let's look at everything. So... And I trained with five or six different guys and they all kind of checked different things. And, you know, they would let me go train with them. They'd let me call them and consult with, with my guys. Um, and so they all had just all their anabolic markers were low. So, um, everything from, uh, you know, total testosterone to free testosterone, you know, there's a whole lot of things that impact how much of your testosterone is actually bio, bioavailable. Okay. All of that was crushed on them. 
their estradiol would be a lot higher than it should be. Their thyroid function would be really low. Uh, their insulin sensitivity would be really poor, especially how clean these guys were eating like great diets and training, very disciplined and still just had like pre-diabetic on just wasn't blood working. levels. Yeah. Um, and then all the inflammatory markers um, and all the catabolic hormones were all really high. So their cortisol was really high and their epinephrine, norepinephrine was really high. The catabolic is muscle it's eating. breaking you down, right? So you, you think about anabolic, you're using the external world to build your body up and make you, make you bigger, better, faster, stronger, smarter, better looking, all that. Catabolic is the opposite. You're using, your, you're using your body as the fuel source to get through the day, essentially. And that's what catabolic behavior is. And that with these guys like a salmon swimming upstream yeah. dropping the eggs off it's yeah. eating itself from the inside yeah out. so they're, they're damaging their day they're damaging themselves every time they get up in the morning and say i'm going to go work out and work out really hard and be tired tonight they just made it exponentially worse because that's a hundred percent catabolic workout because they didn't repair from the day before and they're just more and more so yeah you're losing you're actually losing muscle mass and getting weaker every day you go to the gym if you're not getting enough sleep and especially when you're getting the sleep you're getting as drug sleep. So you're essentially getting no sleep. Um, and so that was step one. So, okay, well, this is what it does to sleep architecture. Let's see what it, sleep architecture actually means and what's going on. And then you find out when you dig into that. And I was, this was like college level uh, physiology books. Like I, I started from kind of square one. Like sure. I didn't know anything. And so what's happening is that those that deep sleep, that's the most anabolic period of your life. So that's when you're doing 90% of all the repair. That's when all of your testosterone and growth hormone are being secreted for the day is during that deep sleep. So if you're not getting that deep sleep, that's not happening. What's an ideal number for that? I do all the tracking and everything on my sleep. How much would you ideally get? Of course, as much as possible, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, um, it's, it's basically right around thirds. Uh, so you want like, uh, deep sleep and REM sleep and, and transitional stage two to kind of be about thirds. Gotcha. Um, uh, most people, as you get older, don't don't get thirty percent of your time at, at deep sleep. Right. But there are there are things you can do to help that. And if you get more of that, then it, you know it's better for your body. If you get more REM, then it's better for your brain. Um, so it kind of depends on what you're going what for. you're going for. Sure. And my clients are both. I mean, my clients are entrepreneurs, Fortune 500 CEOs, but they're also professional athletes. Go-getters. Right. And so it's like some guys want their body and their function and power and strength, and some guys want their brain and daily energy and cognitive function and mental focus and all that. So just depends on what you're shooting for, like what to optimize. But basically, if if you go to sleep around the same time every night and you wake up the same time, you know, approximately the same time every day without an alarm clock <clears> – <throat> you're probably sleep adapted, right? Like you're, you're probably getting what's ideal for you. Um, now, most people can't do that. Yeah, and my wife's been trying to urge me to do more of that, wake up without an alarm clock. I yeah. set mine, just the program's running, right? I, right. I set it at 4 a.m. every morning. Right. Probably not ideal. No, not ideal. When I work out with Wellborn, they work out at 6, and I hate them for it. Like I'm like, because I have to get up at 5 to go. Sure, to get cause there. Because I, I live about 30 minutes away, 25 minutes away now. Um so I have to get up at five to be able to get to the gym by six. And sure. I just dr- I dread it, you know? And, and when you look you're at- You're telling them, you're like, guys, this yeah. is so counterproductive. Yeah. What are we doing here? And so I go to bed at 8 p.m. to be able to work out. I mean, that's like that's the to only way I can sleep do it. In. Yeah, because like, I'm a minimum eight-hour guy. Like, yeah. I'm really closer to a nine-hour. Well, if you're the normal. sleep doctor, right? You yeah. got to get the sleep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so the I was 
working with my guys and I found out, well, all this anabolic stuff is happening while you're asleep and um, all this catabolic stuff is like going on while you're awake and here's why uh, you need to sleep more. And I, because I can't, I mean, this culture doesn't value sleep. That's the biggest thing to keep in mind. When, going, when we go through buds, we do an entire week without sleep. And most of the time in the SEAL teams, it's like, hey, we got to get ready to do something. You're probably not going to sleep for the next three days. And then you're going to go out and do a mission or training exercise. Sure. It's like, all right, like, that's just normal. And you suck it up. Same thing with medicine. Yeah, it's actually. amazing what willpower can do. Yeah, and then being a doctor was this, the second dumbest thing I've ever done. Because right? <laughs> like you go to residency and like that's all that's all it's about. It's just like staying up for thirty six hours in a row and being able to function and crush it and be sharp and make good decisions. Or at least think you are. Right, you're not obviously. Um, and so, uh, I is really sort of a, to get to the answer, like one hour answer to your first question. No, it's a, <laughs> it's yeah, a, but there, that's the beauty of it. Uh, the, me talking about sleep was kind of a sleight of hand because what I wanted to do is replace their hormones because I, I'm a medical doctor. Gotcha. It's like, yes. well, I, I can give them thyroid. I can give them testosterone. I can give them a Remedix to drive their estrogen down. I can block their sex hormone binding globe and give them more free testosterone. I I can do all this stuff, right? And I can give them metformin. I can help bring their, you know, blood glucose down and improve their insulin sensitivity. And like, I have the, I have the tools to do this, but I can't do it. The military is not, not about to let me do it. So what they would let me do is talk about sleep. And so I went in front of, every group of SEALs I could. So there'd be like these pre-deployments where they'd have the whole whole SEAL team would go. With the workups. Like, oh yeah, like a two, yeah. two or three-day event to get ready to leave and their families are there and they're talking about the things you're going to be encountering and the stresses in your life and how to mitigate those and your resources. And so they do this for pre and then coming back kind of, let's turn the volume down, like, you know, reintegrate into society, gotcha. be a normal human being in the SEAL teams and, you know, and your family life and like bring all that back down. Um, so I did a lot of those, uh, and then I shared the stage with guys like Rob Wolf and John Wellborn and, uh, you know, all those types of guys were the experts they were relying on. And just de facto, I kind of, that ended up being my peer group. And then they were recommending me on podcasts and lectures and whatever. And then I, everybody just kept calling me to sleep, you know, to talk about sleep. And so I started, you know, going to professional teams to help them coordinate their travel so they have the best performance or when should they practice if they travel across this many time zones and right. educating their players on the value of sleep. And same thing, you give those guys performance metrics. It's, they, know, they know what testosterone and growth hormone are, right? And they yes. know what anabolic is and they know what catabolic is. And you just say, look, the more you sleep, the more anabolic you are. And the more, the, the more testosterone you have, the more growth hormone you have. You're, the bigger your muscles are, the faster you are, the stronger you are, the more resilient you are. That's what you want, right? And they're like, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of convincing. Um, and which was weird because when I first started, there was all this data about how sleep impacts your disease risk and death. And that's what uh, Matt Walker, who's like kind of the, the top of the uh, sleep space right now. Okay. He's a Stanford PhD in, in sleep. And uh, he wrote a book called Why Do We Sleep? And it's a great book. Um, and he's British, so he's got a cool accent, and he tells good stories. Uh, so he's, he's crushing it in the, in the sleep world right now. Um, and uh, he still talks about disease and when you're going to die. And so he did, right. he did Peter Atiyah's podcast. He's more on the disease side of yeah. it, and you're on the performance yeah. side. Yeah. And so I, I started trying to teach disease. And I would go to, I'd go to law enforcement, first responders, like uh, police academies and things like this, and I'd lecture to them 
about, hey, your life's going to be like 12 to 16 years shorter, you know, not from getting shot. Sure. Or like just you're going to die earlier because of the shift work and, you know, like all this circadian disruption. Like you're, you're getting like, to look yeah, like you're like, lecturing a bunch of middle schoolers, well, like mouth open. They're yeah, just looking at you like. They're sitting there like, going, okay. Well, what do you want me to do about it, right? It's like <laughs> I I'm, signed up to yeah, do this. Like I signed up to do this, and they're telling me this is my option. If I want to do this, I do this. Like, all right, good point. So then I started <laughs> lecturing on performance. Yes. Um, and then. And that's when you had that crowd on the edge of their seats, right? right? And yeah. then that crowd was like, "Oh yeah, we want to perform better because they don't seals don't believe they're mortal. They're, they or they couldn't be seals. Well, the same right? with football players. Yeah, it's like that, you can't until do that. you have a like a massive injury and somebody's yeah. doing your job and you kind of see that cycle of life. And for me, it was about having kids. Like when I had kids, I finally realized, holy sh! There is a start to life. That means there's got to be a finish to life. Right. Like I'm gonna die at some point. I'm it's halfway that, there. I'm man. Ha- halfway there, right? Yeah. So it's that's a, a mind blowing experience, and yeah. then you finally realize I'm mortal. So then it. And especially getting out of the league, it becomes less about performance and more about how can I just drag this thing out as long as possible, right. and function in it, right? And so, yeah, not just not, not just, just survive, survive it, but thrive right. yeah, in but it thrive for it. as long as you possibly right. can. And so, what what am I doing? This maybe a little excessive. That's like being a football player, sure. being a seal. It's like you can't do that forever. I right. mean, that's a reason. That's, that's a reason that's they a have an age term group. career. It's, it's a very short term. Um, and, and for all it's worth, I mean, it, SEALs have the opportunity to go into more leadership and, you know, like they can stay around longer, but it's still a really physical job. And they, I mean, they still, yeah. they, and they still take so it's much manual labor. They take so much trauma. I mean, it's ridiculous the amount of trauma they absorb over the, their careers. It's amazing. They survive their careers. Well, even without getting shot, they should all die at like 30. If you look at the medical literature, sure. going through. Um, it's kind of the testament to the mind over matter. Yeah. So it, it's a very resilient group and they're, and they're out there working and crushing it and they're working hard and, they're performance oriented. And so, you know, the, um, my, my, one of the things that I did was get guys off Ambien. And in order to do that, I couldn't just take away their Ambien and say, good luck, fellas. Good luck guys. <laughs> it's going to suck. Yeah. You know? You're going to really struggle for about five days yeah. and then you may get to sleep. Yeah. And so I, I couldn't do that. So I had to come up with something to give them. And so I just did, you know, basic research. Like, uh, I take a little tool from this guy, a little tool from that guy, read some physiology books, figure out why that makes sense. And okay. So basically just supported the melatonin production pathway and give them a little bit of melatonin. And then there's this other pathway that's involved in kind of slowing down the brain. It's called the GABAergic pathway. And I gave them some GABA and some things to kind of enhance the effects of GABA and decrease stress hormones. And that was it. And, and that's a, what we did to me yeah, in that, like 2011 is. Yeah, and that was all over the counter, and you had to go buy it at like 10 different stores, and some were capsules, some were powders, some were that's liquids. Right. It was like a pain in the ass to do. And so the seals keep riding me like, hey, man, you got to make a product out of this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll get to that. that. I'll get to I'm, that. I'm also doing other things here. Yeah, and so when I got out of the SEAL teams, I I was trying to build like a, a pathway for guys getting out of the SEAL teams to be able to sort of get like an intensive medical makeover year while they're kind of segueing into the next career. Right. And so we're raising funds locally and I was going to use Lee Rice's practice. I'd re- gotten reengaged with him and then I ended up, his doctor ended up leaving and ended up taking that job over. And then he wanted me to take that practice over and everything kind of started falling apart. And I was I was like, you know, this isn't really where I want to go, you know. Not the space uh, I mean, you want to live I mean, in. I mean, I like, I, I love Lee to death, and then, like, I owe him, you know, uh, endless gratitude for uh, 
uh, one his one sage sentence. You know, that was it. Thirty years. If you ago, get in, that was, yeah. will you go? Right. Um, but it just wasn't the right fit for me. I I wanted to work with people who were already healthy and were already. Um, they don't really have to be educated. They just they just have to be interested in their own goals. Yes, right. Like yeah, if, they want to get a little bit more. Yeah, if I'm more interested in your goals than you, then I really don't want to work with you. Like that. That's really the kind of it, and that's what most yeah. sick. It's med- taking the taking the horse to water. Right. You can't get it to drink. It's- and, and that's what that's what Western sort of sick medicine is. When people come in there, they know that they're. Eating, I can't imagine they're eating a box of Krispy Kremes every day and they're diabetic and you're like, I don't understand why this mm, is happening. Yeah. It's like, I don't well, get it. Maybe you shouldn't do this and maybe you shouldn't do that. And yeah, see you. See you next year. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I ended up getting a lot of people who wanted to work with me privately and I had no idea how to build myself. So I think I started like 200 bucks an hour or something stupid, like sure. that, which is a total complete learning curve. Yeah. That was everything. like, that was like a I mean, loss. You're going, yeah, you're going <laughs> private though. Yeah, I was like losing money for 200 bucks an hour because like I'm spending for every hour I spend with the patient. I probably spend four hours. That's just me on the back I, end. Yeah. Cause yeah. I'm not charging people for me to learn about their stuff. Right. It's right. like, I have to go learn that. That doesn't, that's not on, that's your, on your own time. That's not on your bill. That's on, that's me. Um, and then there's charting and then there's calling the pharmacy and calling the labs and I didn't have any assistance. And so I'm doing all this on my own. And so you got one, one client for one day, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, so it's a grind, but I'm like, uh, I, I'm, so I'm like, well, you know, this is getting overwhelming. Um, cause podcasts weren't nearly as common back then. I'd probably done 150 or something podcasts by that time. And so I had people, I had like a two year waiting list at this point for people who wanted to work with me. And so I just kept doubling the prices thinking people would go away because I didn't. Right. I was supply too, demand. I was so intimidated by the number of people who wanted to work with me. I'm like, I have no idea how to, like, how I'm ever going to be able to do this. So I'm like, well, I just keep doubling the price and you just get up to this ridiculous price and people are still paying it. And I'm like, all right, well now that just kind you of, you were kind of hopeful they would go. Yeah. Away. And then yeah. that elevates the bar. It's like, well, crap. Now I have to really perform because now these guys are paying me an absurd amount of money to That's work right. with them for a year. Um, and so that's what I still do now. Uh, but what I did is I did that sort of consulting and I said, I told the seals, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a product out of this. And that's, that's what Rico is involved. That's with, right. right? right? Yeah. And so I was like, Rico knew something about supplements. He, and so I called him like, Hey, what do you know? And I talked to him and I talked to some other guys and then I was going to have a company do it for me and then they were going to screw me over and then I was going to have another company do it for me. And they wanted me to just do this totally douchey advertising like white coat kind of like I'm yeah like, i'm like no no, no 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 uh, um it has to be the right message and all that um and so i so i said you know i'll just do a year of consulting i'll leave lee's practice and the year of consulting and i'll get this business off the ground i'll hand it over to somebody else and i i didn't know anything about business so it's like i was good friends with rob wolf and we were both passionate about this and i just like you know we're gonna mail email your list and 5,000 people are going to buy from your list and you know, that's going to make this much revenue and that's the business, right? And that's all, sure, that's that all we need to do. That was it. Um, and of course it doesn't work anywhere near that. Uh, so now it's like five years later. Um, and I, I just recently because of economy of scale, because the business has been doing well over the past five years, it's grown quite a bit. I have lots of employees now, so it's not me doing that. Um, and, uh, 
like we could finally reproduce what I was actually giving the guys and probably what you were taking. Right. Uh, it, it's not, it's not identical. I just couldn't afford to produce that at the beginning. Gotcha. And it wasn't practical and I couldn't, there were things that wouldn't mix and all this other stuff. So now I know more and we have a, like we have sort of the, the original product out there is, it's kind of the new release of the original. Um, yeah. Right. You just have a new release kind of yeah, updated like a couple formula. of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, congrats on that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I think it works better. Everybody that who's tried it that I know I've talked to personally, I'll say it's better and it definitely tastes better. It's easier to flavor when you kind of change. We had like, we had a pretty harsh magnesium in there. Um, and that was really a cost issue and now we can afford a better magnesium nice. product and all that. And so it was, it was, uh, it's, it's definitely a far superior product and, uh, it's essentially the same price, maybe 5% more or something. I can't remember, but sure. anyway, um, point was, I was just going to hand that over and then go back to clinical practice. And I've been consulting these five years, um, still traveling, still lecturing, wrote my book, you know, doing TED talks, like all that crap. And so I'm doing all that on the side with consulting and running the sleep supplement business, which I know nothing about. Like, I don't know how to make a supplement. I don't know how to ship a supplement. I don't know how to build a website or a right. sales. But you don't need e-com. to. Well, I did then. Like uh, it, yeah. then so it when was you like, were kind of a one man yeah. band. Yeah. yeah. But what what worked out really lucky for me was that one of my uh, one of my clients, and I only do a year with guys. That was part of my contract. That's like, it. By the at the end, there's a two year tail, so I'll do like two consults the second year and one consult the third year. But okay. It's nothing like the year of working with. The year of working with me was like a hundred hours of my time with you over the course wow. of a year. So it's, it was big. I could only take like ten clients a year, um, and I'd only do I'd only let guys work with me for a year. And all of them would have something go on during that year where they didn't feel like they got the full benefit of the program because they had this life crisis or business crisis or ha- sure. like could, like had to step away. And my man, could I just get like another, another? No, sorry. No, a year. Like it's a year. I'm, I'm teaching you everything. Like I'm teaching you to fish in a year. Um, and now you got to go fish, right? Yes. Now. Like that. That's the only way to do this. And putting a deadline on something, right. you just can't be open ended. We're going to do this into infinity, right? Got to learn. And that's what I saw at Lee's practice because his practice had a similar concept to it, but it was just it was bigger and it wasn't quite as detailed. But the quarterly follow ups would end up instead of the guy coming to your office for two hours and doing his met cart and stress test and exercise fitness test and talking to the nutrition like that would end up being a phone call instead because they were too busy. And that sure. one hour phone call, you'd be reviewing all the results and that would usually get shortened. Well, I only have 30 minutes and then maybe I only have 15 minutes and then you can you text me. You, you, yeah. And then yeah. you don't really have their concentration. I'm like, well, this blows like this isn't, we're fun. not getting anywhere. Here. Right. And then it's because it's infinite because they can do it every year and they just, Oh, you know, next year I'll do There's better. There's no next, urgency yeah, to it. Next quarter I'll do better. Next quarter. So I saw that. And that was one of the good things of working with Lee is that I picked it up. I'm like, yeah, these guys have to be forced to like, get all you can in a year because after that you're on your own, kid. Yeah, you know? that's, that's good. the way it is. Um, and, I'll, I mean, I'll, still do a little, I'll, I'll do a little one-off cold consulting here if it's something that we didn't cover or something unique, you know. Um, but for the most part, that was it. So anyway, the point was at the end of that um, – at the end of one of my clients' year, I was having like our final phone. It's either a final or a second final phone call, and I, of course, I get to be really good friends with all these guys over the course of that many hours. Spend a lot of time, um, hundred hours. Yeah, and so he's he's like, so what are you up to? You know, like we we just kind of we're BSing maybe the last ten minutes of the call, just you know personal stuff. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm going blind. I'm trying to figure out how to 
do I'm trying to figure out what the hell a sales funnel is and what e-commerce is and like how to put that in a website and then shipping and fulfillment and all these FDA requirements. Like, I don't know. And I'm explaining this whole supplement business. I mean, it's like, well, you know, that's what I do for a living. I was like, <laughs> I didn't ask you about that. I was like, no, that part of the, con- <laughs> that one part of the consult. He's like, well, what did you think I did? I'm like, I don't know. Computer stuff. Like you have a bunch of computer guys around and you're doing computer stuff. I don't know anything about computer stuff. I use computer for word processing. Right. And, uh, and so, yeah, it turns out he owns a digital marketing agency, one of the biggest in the, in the country. And he's like, tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> you give me six more months. Yes. And I, and oh, see, there he so goes. I'm, so he's the one time I've caved and I've given the trade. But he helped me launch that supplement business out. Um, and uh, we probably launched. It would have taken us two years to get to where we were the day we launched just because he knew how to do everything. And right. So that business has been in the black since we launched five years ago. Perfect. And, and it's, it keeps growing. So anyway, that, that turned out great. So now I've, you've got I've other questions hired, to ask your guys. Yeah. I, yeah. It's like, what, what do you what do? What do you do for a living? What can you Be- do for me? Yeah. Before <laughs> we get started here, what, what do you do? Let's Let me, not miss this. Let's give you a list of my challenges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me what you can help with. Uh, and then we'll get to work on you. <laughs> and then we'll get to enough about me. What do you think about me? Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, so I uh, I went through, uh, I, I went through kind of all the growing pains there. I've now hired a CEO. I have a COO. Like that company's kind of automatic now. Good, and that's allowing me to sort of really kind of bloom back into um, performance consulting. And is that what you um, enjoy the most? That's what I enjoy the yeah. most. Yeah. And so now like there's this whole new world. You like of, had this thing you had to get accomplished. Right. Basically. Cause everybody was asking for yeah. it. And it's like, okay, got that taken care of. Now you can focus on what you really. Yeah. And when, and when to. guys get, get out of the SEAL teams, I had a lot more options, right? And I could do a lot more to help them recover a lot faster. Like I was getting everybody off sleep drugs and everything was improving, but that wasn't necessarily the solution right. for a guy who'd been a SEAL for 20 years and just beating himself Yeah, down. tell me about this because my strength coach, when I first got into the league, the original strength coach, by the way, in the National Football League, his name's Dave Redding. He's like a yeah. pair of Levi's. He's the original. He warned me really early in my career. He's like, now when you get out of this league, he's like, be really careful because what's going to happen is your hormones are going to fall off the cliff, right? right? Your adrenaline's not spiking. You don't get into fight or flight. You're not pumping the weights like you once were, so right. your testosterone's going to fall off the charts. And I, right. I experienced that right. in about two months after retirement, not being back in the locker room. I'm telling you, I was a miserable SOB, yeah. and it was just absolutely woeful. And then I finally got my labs done. I had the testosterone levels of a 90-year-old man. Yeah. I mean, it, every 16-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah whatever, <laughs> however you want to put it. I yeah. had fallen completely off yeah. the charts. Yeah. And it, does that same yeah. thing happen with the seals? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 uh, then how does, I guess, TBI factor into that? I mean, so that's, the, that's another thing. I'd say the last uh, two years uh, that I was with the seals, um, I've been going to these uh, – anti-aging medicine groups because right? that's where a lot of sort of the cutting edge uh, right performance stuff was and there was a lecture a guy named mark gordon was giving a lecture on tbi oh yeah and i'm uh, aware of mark yeah yeah so he, angel warriors yeah the angel warrior foundation and andrew mar and all that yeah. um so he had his he had his own clinic i think it's called millennial clinics or millennium or something like that and he had worked with pugilists and some nfl guys and 
he was talking about TBI and how prevalent it was and how it affected hormones. And he started throwing up his case profiles of all of his clients. Look exactly like mine. Identical. Exactly. Yeah. I was, oh my gosh. And then as he's talking about this, um, he didn't really get into it. I think as much as I went and educated myself later is what does it take to get a TBI? Like how much impact? So you measure it in G-force, right? Um, and when you do... Um, there, so there's this big study he's done, and they found that there's a study called the DTI where they can literally see like a single neuronal track in your brain. And if that snaps, they can see it. Wow. So it's super, super high resolution, super expensive. That's cool. But um, so that was, their, that was their criteria for like once we see one snap, then at least one snap, then that's, that's the threshold for TBI. Now, you have billions of neurons, so you probably won't notice that one snap. So it's... You know, to get it, to get something significant, it's you know significantly more than that probably. Um, but anyways, the the threshold was one point zero six Gs, which they were getting from the acceleration rides on acceleration on roller coaster rides like that. Those changes were causing TBIs in people. No kidding. And I thought, whoa, like our guys do way more than that, right? I mean, that's not even close to the type of pressure we're putting in our bodies we're going through way harder so i started doing all this research and um meaning researching the literature not performing research and if you go into a concrete room like we train in and everybody's shooting their m4s around you every bullet is 35 g's so the guys the guy next to you and the that's guy next bullet. to him that's not it, a big blast yeah it's like every boom 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 and there's you know four guys in a room everybody's shooting 20 wow. times that's 80 tbis for everybody in the room all right like that's, sure. that's legit. Yeah. Uh, and you have helmets and stuff. And like, yeah, maybe you're, you're mitigating some of it, but hard parachute. Yeah, but like our doctors will tell you, your helmet as a football player was never designed to stop concussions. It was designed to stop skull fractures. Right. Right. And that's the other thing is we've gotten all this amazing dynamic equipment, but what they forget is that there's a human being inside of this. So just because this, all this equipment will survive, doesn't mean that what's inside of it is going to survive, right? Sure. Like, so you're rattling people around, and like the more dynamic the equipment gets, the vehicles, are like, yeah, we have vehicles that you can blow an IED underneath them, and it won't penetrate the cabin of the vehicle itself. It has like this really super thick boat hole kind of thing, and it shifts into the axles, and they've all calculated for it to blow apart without penetrating the cabin and killing everybody inside. But what the hell do you think? I mean, it's like <laughs> hundreds of pounds of explosives, like boom, this huge vehicle is being blown Just across. waves yeah, through Yeah, I mean, you. the guys are like breaking their necks, getting thrown around and, you know, breaking bones, right. knocked unconscious. It's like, all right, well, they survived, but that's not, right. Um, you know, like hard parachute openings are like three, I think we calculated it out to be like three to four Gs, maybe six Gs, which is about like a football hit right. in the NFL. Um our fast boats, like the uh, Dev Group fast boats, so they average as they're driving, uh, as they're hitting, as they're hitting, hitting waves. the waves, they average 65 Gs. They peak over 100 Gs. And guys are on these for hours, right? Wow. When we do our anti-tank weapons, the Carl Gustafs, that was uh, 200 Gs for the guy shooting it and 300 Gs for the guy spotting it. Um, and, I mean, that's like rattling your entire body. And so it's like how many TBIs do they have? uncountable yeah like you, you can't, can't you and, can't count them and then you add onto that like just all the falls and hitting your head and combatives and fight i mean it's like no idea like right. you have thousands of tbis and we have a big suicide epidemic too just yes. like Huge. the nfl does and we have guys now shooting themselves in the chest and getting their brains 
you know, studied and for CTE for CTE. Yeah. And it's, it's different than the NFL. Um, it's more pervasive. Uh, it, it covers more brain area than got you. And it's not just sort of, it's not as compartmentalized as the CTE. Yeah. Mine was super localized when I got an EEG. <laughs> it was my fr- right prefrontal cortex. Right. And then the back, the kind right, of the, the correlating area. Yeah. yeah. So it was, and you think about it as a center, I snap with my right hand. Yeah. I got a 350 pounder lined up right on my temple. I can't, my temple becomes my yeah. hand. Yeah. So I'm trying to dig them out there, but you're talking about <laughs> right. 360 degrees of coverage on right. these guys. And they're getting this for 20 years. And oh, yeah, because you, you can do it longer. Right. And there's no off season. And no, you know, it's like you're, it's no all, downtime. It's, it's always gone. Oh, right? Jesus. Um, I mean, training is probably just as bad as combat. Like breaching doors, you know, we don't ever get far enough away from the door. Like, we're, like you know, sure. Right. It's not. I mean, sometimes. Yeah, there's but, no OSHA standards. Yeah, here. it's like yeah, there's a guideline for how far you should be, but you're gonna blow it no matter how far you are because that's the mission you're gonna do it. Right. Um, and you know, so anyway, the the guys just have a ton of TBI, and so I started again doing my research on that well what does that cause what causes all the same things that sleep deprivation causes like all the same behaviors and in fact if you look at somebody with a bunch of tbis um you look at somebody who's chronically sleep deprived and you look at somebody who has adhd you can't you can't distinguish those people that's why a ton of former nfl guys and former military guys end up on adderall for adhd at like 30 and 40 years old like really they got through 40 years of their life without right. figuring this out. I don't think that's the answer. Um, but, I mean, it's that's the way that's the way medicine works right now, you know. And it's no fault of the practitioners. It's just kind of the design of what people learn and how much time they have to spend with people and whatever. So, sure. Um, yeah, and guys are looking for quick fixes. Yeah. All right, because I know you got to run. Let, let me get a couple of things out of you real quick. Sure. Obviously, latest craze, CBD, marijuana, yeah. opening up in a lot of states for yeah. – legal purposes how's right. it affecting the brain and what you're seeing how's it affecting sleep yeah so interesting uh, the, um it's kind of a mixed bag i i think the cbd is proving out to be really beneficial and effective um if you're familiar with dr amen his Amen yes. clinics and his spec scans so he's done a lot of research on people who actually smoke marijuana right um, so that's a t- obviously THC and lots of cannabinoids. We can measure a few of the cannabinoid receptors, but we can't measure everything. But he, on his spec scans, he really sort of getting blood flow through the brain. And so he can tell if your brain's getting better or worse. And it turns out that um, 100% of his spec scans show a decrease of blood flow through the brain with chronic use of marijuana. Gotcha. Um, so that's probably not ideal. And blood flows everything. Right. Blood flows everything. Right. Because that's, that's where all the nutrients are. That's where the repair is. That's, that's both the grocery delivery and the trash man. Right. Yes. That's how you're getting everything in in and out. out. And so when you, you start reducing the blood flow, you start losing efficacy of, of neurons in that region of the brain. And that's when you start laying down different fibrous tracks and, you know, different proteins are hanging around and causing these, uh, quintessential sort of neurological decays. Um, and so I, I think, uh, I think what we're going to find like everything else is that there are genetic people who are genetically pre preset to do well with marijuana and people who are genetically preset to not do well gotcha. with marijuana. Like I, it's going to turn out, it would be shocker to me if it doesn't, cause everything's that way. Like 
almost everything is that way. Um, unless it's something that's in your body. Right? I mean, there's very few people who don't feel better on more testosterone than less testosterone, like something like that, but right. that's physiologic. But if you're taking something that's not really designed to be in your body, but I mean, I think cannabis should have always been legal, right? I mean, it's, it's evolved to be sure. on the planet at the same time as us. And you can just like pick it up and eat it and has per and has benefit. Like that's like outlawing broccoli to me or something. Like, how do you, how do you get there? Right. right. That seems crazy. Um, and I know it has some other effects, but all that, but, uh, CBD turns out to be really good for like an anxiolytic. Um, but, but the market's going the way the market always goes. It's like, how can I make the most money with the cheapest product so right. for the highest price? So everything's cut. So everything's going into these isolates and, and nothing in nature is an isolate. That's what the pharmaceutical company does, right? Like the pharmaceutical goes, well, eating this, and this is a true story, right? So to prevent malaria, people who live in malaria endemic uh, areas, they've figured out that if they eat the root of this palm plant, they don't get malaria. And so they don't know why. But what pharma comes in and says, all right, well, what is it? And so they study every molecule in that, in the heart of that palm plant. Take it right down to And they're to like, it. all right, this is the molecule that does it. And that's what we tried to do with marijuana. So the Marinol came out in like the 70s. And it's like, oh, it's THC. That's what it is. Just put THC in a capsule and give it to people. Didn't work. Didn't, didn't even come close to working. Biggest flop ever. Um, and then they tried to reinvent it when chemo became a big deal. They tried to repush it. Well, it's an app. It'll help with that. It didn't work for that either. So uh, what it turns out is that the full plant um, cannabinoids. So because everything in the, the plant. The full spectrum. The full it. spectrum. So it's like the entire plant. It should look like crude oil if you're getting good stuff. Like it, it's nasty, thick. Gotcha. Because it's, it's, all the, it's all the hemp. It's all the, uh, you know, it, it's all the uh, cannabinoids in there. There's a the chlorophyll in there. There's like all of the fiber and, um, you know, phytomaterial of the plant. And there are hundreds of cannabinoids. So maybe better off to just eat it. Yeah. But that has THC in it. Sure. So THC has its own problems, right? Gotcha. Yes. So you can get, you can get a full, like a full spectrum whole plant CBD that has hundreds of cannabinoids and phytochemicals in there that are, that we think improves all sorts of things. One of the biggest things is it's an anxiolytic, right? It just keeps people from being so stressed out about their lives yes. in the stressed out world we live in, right? Um, so that's kind of the biggest thing out of it. But I've seen some sleep research. Uh, CBD is better than THC. Uh, the, the subjective experience of THC is better. Like people... Okay take THC and they go to sleep and they think they slept better. But the actual brain. But when you study their sleep, it's like they didn't sleep as long as they thought they did. And they didn't sleep nearly as well as they thought they did. Gotcha. But for whatever reason, the THC fools them, but it also desensitizes super quickly. So I think it was only like 30, maybe 90 days where you would be on 10 times more THC to get the same effect. Um, and CBD doesn't seem to be that way. Um, and CBD, if you do this full, this full plant, full spectrum uh doesn't show any escalation in dosage requirement um and you know the fact that um you know the fact that we have cannabinoids in our brain means that it's important to our brain somehow we don't know exactly how yet um but 
uh, if there's hundreds of cannabinoids in a product and a plant, like why would you go, oh, this is the one that matters or these two are the one like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a promising product and because it doesn't have uh, the dissociation and dysphoria of the THC, which is the other problem with it, right? Sure. Um, some people, like I can't handle any THC. Like I had one milligram of THC and I was so, you get completely I so stoned. I just couldn't, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't. I couldn't follow one word to the next word and the person right. talking to me. I was like, oh, I have no idea what you're saying. Well, I used to have guys yeah. show up in the parking lot at our facility before a game, three hours before a game, and be rolling a blunt in their car and looking at me like, hey, you want some of this? Like, no, absolutely. How the hell are you going to do that? All right, last one. Any recommendations for anybody? Books, podcasts, any daily routines that you get into? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and the, the the drum I still beat the most is sleep. Um, you know, I, I, I do – when I do my consulting, it, I start with sleep. Yes. And part of the part of the contract is if you aren't willing to sleep eight hours a night, do, I just simply – I'm not you're going gone. to work with you. You're not, you're not the right fit for me. I'll help you find somebody, but I'm not your guy. Um, so sleep – I do sleep, nutrition, exercise, and then mindfulness or some sort of stress mitigation kind of – and mindset if that's in, involved gotcha. but anything to affect performance and not that i can do all of it but i have resources for everything that people need um and um and i, I believe the full spectrum is important for longevity and you know enjoying your life and what i call health span instead of lifespans like how how long can you actually get after it and, and enjoy your life and have a good time um and like, let's stretch that to 90 and who cares if you live past 90 at right. that point. Right. So, well, I remember in one of our first meetings, you're like in an ideal world, you'll live till 90 yeah. and then you'll have two bad weeks and then you'll die. Right. And yeah. That'll kind of be like, it. that's kind of ideal to me. It's like, you know, just go. And, Sounds ideal to me. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to just slowly decay. And, you know, and I see that like I'm, I'm, I turn 50 next year and like, or like six months from now. And I, and I have so many 50 year old friends that are like old people. Like, you know, I, I, and it doesn't make we sense. We had a high school reunion not too long ago, and I was looking at the pictures. I'm like, I guess everyone was 30 when I went to <laughs> high school with them. Because I mean, there's, there's some people who still look good, but there's a lot of people in there that are going, you look like you could be my dad. Like, how, did, how does that? Yeah, you don't have to age that poorly, folks. Yeah. So um, I, think, uh, I think sleep is still the biggest thing sure. for me because people uh, – I mean, even people who work with me for a year – Still underestimate it. I still underestimate it. I mean, I've been I've been beating this drum for ten years, and I still underestimate it. Every, like all the time, I'll read an article, I'll read something, and I'm like, oh shit! Like I never thought of that. Yeah, that too. Oh, and that. Like it's definitely the most important thing that we do as a human being. And it's something that people can use as a bedrock. Right. Right. If you can ground yourself with the sleep, everything else will fall into order right. after and that. I, You'll start prioritizing your health if you can simply lay down for eight hours. Right. And and that's what I that's what I tell people and I'm I'm one hundred percent honest sincere when I say this. If you did nothing but optimize your sleep, there's nothing else you could do that would make nearly big of a difference, you know, unless you're somebody who's just barely not there right now. But most people are so far away from ideal. They don't even know what ideal feels like. And they get it like a week of ideal sleep and they're like, holy crap, like who turned on the lights? Like everything's brighter and smells and I'm happier and I'm lying. And they can't believe how a different life is just because you just slowly get ground down with that. And you just think, well, that's just that's just age. 
and that you know the seals have a bunch of tbis but you're talking about the same things the seals have and the nfl guys have is they walk into a room and they can't remember why they went in the room and they go to leave for work and they get in their car and go oh i forgot my wallet and they go back in the house and they get back in their car and they pull oh i forgot my badge and they go back in and they just it takes them like four or five times to actually get on the road and then they miss their exit and uh, and they and and that's just normal just becomes normal life like everybody's doing that this is what we're dealing with like all of us all of us have our backpacks memorized like we all have whatever backpack we like and everything goes into the exact same pocket all the time like that's the only way you get to know where it's at because yeah. if it's not there and it's not in my pocket, then I don't know where it's at. Like those are the only things that it could possibly. <laughs> That's how I've re- constructed yeah. my deal. <laughs> exactly. So you have to like you learn these tools to mitigate. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but you know this is happening at thirty five. Like that should be happening at seventy five, not right. thirty five, right? So we've so what I'm really excited about now is uh, regenerative medicine. So like all the peptides and stem cells and adding H like HBO two like uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And with that, as well as the hormones and the nutrition, like, so like the full spectrum, the peptides are, the peptides look like, and the stem cells, both, um, it's looking really promising that we can, we can repair just about everything you've damaged. Right. So, um, I started, I started in the sick care model, right. Or broken people that I was going to help be not as broken. That was my that was my career sure like oh, that sucks that was standard i was like okay well i want to work with healthy people who want to be healthier and now i want to work with high performers who want to be higher performers and so that's been sort of the progression of my career and it's like these super optimal high performance getting after people that's who i like to work with but they maybe got into this a year ago or five years ago at best right um what about everything that happened the first 50 years of their life yeah. Right. That's all still there. Yeah. So they've worked now you've worked with a lot of people who have ridden themselves hard. Right. Like they've, they've used their body to its full potential and passed it like many times. So that's damage. And what do you do about that damage? And how is that damage impacting everything else? So, you know, if you have, say, maybe 50 percent of the cartilage on your knee or hip gone and you have chronic pain in there and it's just whatever, like I deal with it and I still work out. Sure. And I'm still yeah. in good I shape. got my hand in the air. right yeah, now. And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm still fine. Right. But how much is that impacting your sleep? How much is that affecting your stress hormones? How much is your stress hormones then impacting your insulin sensitivity, which is then impacting blood glucose to your brain, which is then impacting how quickly your brain oxidizes and how quickly things go wrong in your neurological decay and your, you know, ghrelin sensitivity and leptin sensitivity and your total testosterone and growth hormone because of, you know, your sleep slightly interfered with by, and you don't even know it, right? right? Like how much, it's just a cascading effect that exists. Right. And yeah, uh, and even just being in the SEAL team for six years, uh, probably just because I was bigger and they tended to just strap more crap on me. So <laughs> You're the like, mule. Yeah, those are the mule pack mules. Keep putting stuff on them and then, you know, slide down this fast rope and hit the hit the deck so hard that you bounce five feet and, you know, land over. And um, So, like, every joint in my body hurts every day. Yes. And that's just normal for me. And I've just – well, it doesn't that's really your baseline. hurt. It's just like, yeah, it hurts, but I can do everything. That's That's fine for me. It's not a problem for me until it starts limiting what I can do. That's they right. all hurt all the time. That has to be negatively impacting me. And there's no way. But now that we have some more resources, like I'm super excited about that. And I'm, I'm studying with a, a clinic uh, called a Perion, which means limitless in Italian. Cool. Um, and uh, Dan Stickler who was a founder of this clinic. And he's been doing the peptides longer than anyone I know. So I, I tried to study under a few guys and everything kind of seemed pretty hokey and, um, 
don't know, kind of driven by the pharmaceutical company producing it, you know, that, or the labs is producing them. And I'm like, ah, I don't like, I'm not really convinced. Had some really. sales on the other end of it. Yeah. And it was just, it was like superficial science. It wasn't, you know, it's like pretty big leaps from animal trials, whatever. And so I found a guy who's actually been working with this stuff for 10 years and has clinical data and he has 12 cl- or eight clinics, I think worldwide, 12, uh, 12, physicians and his, you know, RNs and PAs and they consult on every, on every patient. So they, like they get together and they whiteboard out every patient and all the clinical providers are going, well, this is what I found. And this is what I found. So these guys are way on the cutting edge of all that stuff. So I just forced Gump to my way into that. I mean, he, they're in Austin and uh, I've known him. I've just kind of seen him on like the speaking circuit and so forth over the years. And we've been buddies and I saw him at Paleo FX in April and he's like, so what are you up to? I'm like, well, you know, this, that, and you know, my usual stuff. And said, and I said, I'm really geeking out over peptides right now. I think these are like, I think these are the next frontier. And he's like, yeah, you know, that's what I do, right? And you're like, recurring theme in my yeah, life. Yeah, no I kidding. Should, I should talk to other people more. Like, <laughs> so, uh, so, Always lead with, so what do you do? Yeah, and so he said, so he's like, yeah, I have a physician's training program for that. And I'm like, well, I'll buy it. Like, I'm sold. Like, just, you know, he's like, I'll give it to you. I'm like, all right, sold, man, let's do it. And so... I, I was planning to study with him and he's like, Hey, I could really actually use you in the clinic and we're expanding. And, you know, so that's an opportunity for, I have to get, uh, I have to get my Texas license, which is a total pain. So I've been working on that for like a month, but gotcha. Uh, It'll uh, happen. But I, I've been, I've been working with the peptide for maybe six to nine months and working with my private clients. And it, and I, I think it's super, super, uh, um, optimistic. And, uh, and, I and I am also studying, I'm actually going to Virginia to lecture, uh, a sports team. And then I'm going to train for a couple of days with the, I think as far as I know, he's like the leading stem cell guy in the country. He's been doing umbilical stem cells wow, for, fantastic. Like, for like 20 years. And there's, a, it turns out to be a huge difference between umbilical stem cells and right. fetal stem cells and the stem cells they get from your bone marrow, or your fat. Like, uh, and they're also kind of tying stem cells into the brain as right, well. Yeah. Right. And there, and so like there's a there's a neuropeptide that helps with the repair of your brain, um, BDNF. A lot of people have heard of that brain derived neurofactor, neurotrophic factor, um, and it's actually sort of repairing your brain. And there's a peptide that's 10 million times more effective than BDNF. And peptides are all actually in your body. It's not so, a small number. So they're like finding these. They're not in a lab just like going, well, what if we put these together? They're like finding these in human beings and going, well, what does this peptide do? What does this peptide do? What does this peptide do? And then they find ways to enzymatically reproduce that peptide and re-inject it and see, well, can we grow cartilage with this? Yes, you can. Can you regrow ligaments with this? Yes, you can. You can regrow tendons with this. Yep. And it turns out like completely reversing people who need knee replacements and they're like six months from their knee replacement. They'll go work with these Gonna go work with these guys Beautiful. and get stem cells and peptides and come back with a completely normal knee six months later and never had to have the operation. Um, so there, there's some fascinating stuff. And then there's another layer above that, which I haven't gotten into is like the exomes where they're actually sort of inserting little DNA changes into your body. Um, that's a little scary. That's a little scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to keep on my heels with that one and let some other folks lead, but sure. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. that's I tune mean, back in in a couple of years. Yeah. 
but the addition of the the addition of the peptides in the stem cells is is nice for me like i've I've always been a big advocate of hyperbarics um that i've always known how completely underrated that is um i i mean i would i would put that probably on par with sleep like if you could just if you could Flood make your sleep if you oxygen. could make sleep 25% better that hyperbarics would be that right like that's the because you can't get you can't get that oxygen um, density to your cells any other way. Like you just can't do it. Right. Um, and you know, everything's oxidative phosphorylation. Like all, all cellular energy is essentially driven on that. And so it's just, it's an amazing thing. It's like getting more blood flow everywhere, right? Sure. Essentially it's like if you can get more blood flow to anything. It performs it. better and it repairs better. And you know, it's more resilient when that's what we're all going for at the end of the day. Right. You have to be resilient because you don't know what your life's going to be. That's it. And you have kids. You have this career. Maybe this career changes. Maybe something. I'm sure it will. You know, maybe you end up moving to a different country. Like, who knows? Like, life changes. You don't know. So you have to be resilient. You have to be able to eat various things and exercise various ways and travel and, you know, find ways to get sleep. And so I think the answer to your question, though, is, like, I, I still beat the drum on sleep. If if you listen to this podcast and you aren't 100% convinced that sleep is the most important thing in your life, go there first, whatever it takes. Like there's a dozen Matt Walker's books. Great for the disease model. Like I was talking about, um, you know, William Dement's the promise of sleep, all like anything, but just go on Google, man, and just start going Google scholar and like, look up anything you're afraid of and put sleep next to it and just go, Oh crap. There it is. There it is. There are like 3000 articles on. Yeah. That's tied to sleep and convince yourself that it's the most important thing you can do. And that, I think, has the biggest chance of improving your life over anything else I could recommend. Doc Parsley. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So much. Check them out, docparsley.com, sleep remedy. I learned so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Talk to you soon, man. If you made it to the tail end of this podcast, thank you for the time. I had a blast learning about the importance of sleep through the story of how a Navy SEAL becomes a world-renowned sleep and performance doctor. If you don't mind, please leave me some comments and suggestions. It's only the beginning. And of course, we want to fill the needs of what you came here looking for. And also, if it suits you, leave us a good rating. And lastly, suggest this to your friends, either with word of mouth or what I always do is screenshot the podcast and I put it on my social media stories. Make sure to tag me. I'd love to repost you. Until next time, here's to our health.